Dealers. I'm Lynn Wolf, and thanks for joining us for the Rural Lifestyle Dealer Podcast Series. In this episode, we talk with sales coach Greg Martinelli about the topic of outside sales for the rural equipment market. Martinelli says five common fears can derail your sales success, including fearing cold calling, looking incompetent, being too salesy, asking prying questions, as well as the fear of calling on the big accounts. Join in the discussion as Martinelli talks through why outside sales should be part of your rural equipment marketing strategy and how to start overcoming those fears. Martinelli draws on 28 years as an ag sales professional. If there's a time in ag, in, and this is rural lifestylers we're talking about, if there's a time when you need to do something to differentiate, it's today. And the bigger reason for that is it's a very noisy market. And the internet and social media has made it good, it's easier, but it made it a lot more noisy. And so customers can get their information from multiple sources and you're trying to stand out and then they can get their products from multiple sources. So there's, you know, there's big box stores, there's independent dealers, and then there's, I'm sure there's going to be direct from manufacturer at some point in time, if they ever figure that kind of stuff out. But so how are you going to differentiate yourself? And I think one of those ways, if you have a market conditions conducive to it, and you get somebody that knows who the right people are to call on, it can be productive time. And so, no, it's not somebody that's going to get up every day and drive out in the country, get you know outfitted with a pickup truck, you know, so that they go you know office out of their home, and and drive strictly on farm and do sales calls because that wouldn't be productive. But there's there's ways to incorporate it and boost your sales with it. And just the idea of, you know, establishing this uh, person who can uh, can do this, um, especially working with your existing sales staff. So uh, one of the things that, you know, you talk about is the idea of, you know, identify the fears. And so can you talk through what those fears are so that our, our dealers can, you know, maybe work with their existing staff and, and start working toward this type of person? Some of the points that I kind of, you know, wanted to mention too about the, the why, and this kind of leads into those fears and then leads into the next stuff we're going to talk about as far as on how to measure whether you're, you're effective at it, which is important. But you, you have a different customer connection when you make a farm visit. And it, it shows that you cared enough and it's very personalized. You know, they may see your ad on a, a web page or a, a Facebook post, but when they see a person and they meet them personally, it changes that relationship. And you don't necessarily have to meet them and make the sale right then, but it, but they now have a, a friendly face with a name and a, and a location. And it shows that you care. And you learn so much more about the operations. Just a few of those visits gives you a, if you're good at looking around and observing and asking questions, you learn so much about the customer and what they're trying to do with their equipment that you you know, if you're a rural lifestyle yourself as a salesperson, you might know that, you know, firsthand. But if you're not, this is a great way to see firsthand. Here is what the struggle is, and, and you can help them be a better connection to the to what they're trying to do. Because these are not, a lot of times, these are not professional farming operations, and they, they don't buy equipment maybe once in their life. They buy a compact utility. So they need somebody that can maybe network and give them some advice on, how to spec the equipment for the job that they're doing, which which is extremely important, especially in the compact. But getting into the five fears that I kind of always run through about doing farm calls, because most of the time when I'm working with people, 
the reason they're, they're hesitant to go out on sales calls is that they have one of these fears is kind of creeping into the back of their, their mind. And, and they're really quick. I'll run through them and then we can talk more about them. But it's cold calling, um, you know, just driving up. What do you say? Shaking hands, not knowing anybody. The second one is, is feeling incompetent. You know, people feel, especially if they're not from the farming community or they don't know a lot about um, landscapers, they, they don't want to go out there and appear like they don't have all the answers or that they don't know what they're talking about. And then the third one that comes up is a big one. This is probably the number one fear that people have of making farmhouse, and that's appearing, the, the term salesy. Now, that's not in the dictionary. Salesy, if you look it up, I could not find that, but it is a common term that we all use. And, and it's, it's a very loose term that basically refers to being pushy, appearing like the old time, I'm pushing a product, I, I, I don't go away, I spend... What it also strays over if you know, I wrote uh, one article recently about not being the salesperson that my dad hated, and so people that came off of a farm, I didn't realize that this bias because I didn't come off of a farm, but my, my this bias that um, you know, dad did not like any salespeople that called on him. So when I go out to call on a sale, when I go out to call on a farmer or a customer, I'm that guy that that my dad didn't like, so that they feel salesy, and so that's that's the third one. The fourth. Fear that that is asking prying questions. You know, they feel that this is being nosy or digging into their business, and, and we can talk about why that's so important and such a big piece of, of calling. And then the last one may or may not be an issue for for this uh, type of customer, but it's the fear of calling on the big account, which is a little bit tied into the fear being fearful of being incompetent. So we would have sales reps that would drive straight; they literally could not turn their steering wheel down the driveway on one of the large accounts because they felt like a big account is more competent and doesn't want to, I, I don't know what I would say to them. I'm certainly not as knowledgeable and could not offer them a benefit. So they would be a fearful of the big account. Those are the five that, that I predominantly run across. Well, let's talk through those in terms of the, uh, the rural equipment market. And, mm-hmm. and one thing I think especially applies is the idea of cold calls because these customers Maybe landscapers might, you know, be be getting some sales calls, but I don't think that a rural lifestyler is expecting to have somebody come up and and try and sell them something. So I think that is especially applicable to our market. So how how do our dealers overcome that and and make that you know turn that around? Sure, and that starts the first first to realize the fear. And this is not hocus pocus. You know, it's all in your mind. But the first thing you got to realize is. You want to reframe your purpose. And before you go to the, the fear of the cold call, if you can possibly turn into a warm call or a hot call, whatever you want to call it, if you can turn it into that where somebody, you know, they're getting calls that are coming into the dealerships, they're getting emails, they're getting all this information, data coming in from their social media sources. They're going, and hopefully they're going to networking events and they're building up a, a, a reputation or a brand in the market of where those people are meeting, where they're gathering and they're going to them. We'll talk about that too. But if they can get that cold call to be a warm call where somebody's expecting you, especially when you're talking about somebody that may have an off-farm job. So if somebody's got 10 acres or 15 acres, the rural lifestyle uh, doesn't necessarily make their living from that property. That's a hobby or an interest. Or if they're a landscaper, you they're out landscaping probably somewhere. And so, you know, anytime you can, you know, like 
about these expos, you can, you can find them and, and say, hey, these are from my area. You were at this expo. I was there. Can we talk about what you're operating? You know, those, those make that, those help you overcome that. But the first thing to do is to reframe your purpose. You know, most people think about when they go out and do a sales call, they've got to go out, they got a cold call to meet them, greet them, explain the products, establish value, close the sale, um, get the contract signed, and all in one visit. Now, if, if you're talking about 15, 20, 30, $40,000 piece of equipment, that's not real easy to do in one sales call from the very first time you meet somebody. And so I, I would tell you this, that, that your first visits, it's, it's a longer process than people think. And so then that comes into, you know, where you're going, who are you calling on and how to make that price effective so you don't waste your time and money. But I think the first thing is to reframe it as I'm coming out here instead of coming out here to sell you something, I'm coming out here to find out what is, what is it you do with these, this equipment in your operation that you need to work on. And if they've got nothing for you to have your value, what your products have to offer, they've got brand new equipment, they don't need anything other than maybe some parts of service, then that's your way to connect with them. It's not to, hey, I need to end this thing with a sale. And so, because that's where you feel pushy. And then we get into the fear of asking prying questions. In reality, the prying questions is what you're using to make sure that you present a product to them that's, that's specific to what they need. So how to do that without asking questions, I don't even know how you would do that. There's somebody that you would walk up and say, let me just tell you about it. That's That would be like, so it's reframing the purpose of why you're there. I'm not salesy because I'm not selling you anything until I find out what you might need. And if it comes up to be nothing, I want to know you, maybe your name, maybe you get a referral, anybody else in the area that's looking for something. And so that's one of the, the first steps to overcoming the fear. And then, then there's, a, there's several more steps, but uh, you know, does that kind of answer what, you, what, you're, what you're looking for? Yeah, definitely. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the mechanics. Sure. So should an appointment be made? Should you be delivering something, you know, brochure, business card? Yep. How do you know, how do you, how do you work that? Yeah, I, I would tell you this. Every industry is slightly different. And I'll give you two farming industries. The feed business does, uh, does not work off of appointments. You can, because they're usually on the farm working with animals. The grain business all works off of appointments because they're not on the farm. So the rural lifestyle market is probably more similar to the grain business where they're not on the farm, you know, it's a thousand acres, so they're not on the farm every single minute of the day. And so you have to have an appointment to come out there and talk to them about selling them seed or grain, buying their grain or whatever. And I think the same would hold true for somebody that's, you know, 10, 15 acres um, where they're going to have a job offsite. When, you know, where, where are you going to, when are you going to connect with them? So you would try to work with appointments in that particular case driving the countryside and taking a half hour of somebody's time when they're out there working on, you know, mowing their lawn and stopping them, I think would be counterproductive. You'd, you'd want to have some reasons to go out there. If you did that and you said, I want to take a day and I want to, or half a day or whatever and drive the countryside. And when I see somebody, I'll, I'll stop. I would tell you this, the very first visit, I would simply give them a card, tell them who you are, be very logoed up. You know, today's environment is very, aware of, um, you know, don't go out there in a plane truck or plane car and no, no logo on your, your shirt or anything because they're going to wonder who is this person coming up here with an unmarked car walking up my driveway or, you know, knocking on my door and they're, they're going to be alarmed that who is this and you're out in a rural community. So 
people get a little nervous. So have a truck and have it logoed with your store. And then the very first time is to simply hand them a card, tell them who you are, what you do. And if they ever need, and you know, is if there's, if there's ever time when we can visit on that, that would be great. And then maybe very small talk. Half the time they'll give you a little bit of time to talk because they, you maybe they need something. The other half, they're going to be like, thanks. Appreciate it. I got to go. <laughs> and you got to let them go. Cause it's, I did the same thing with, with, you know, with dealerships, I sold to dealerships and direct to farms. I, their first one, if I did a cold call, I simply handed them a card and said, I want, I'm the guy in this area. If you need something, I'm the person you would call. Here's my card. Here's how to get a hold of me. I'd love to come and sit and talk with you sometime, but now obviously this is a cold call and I, I don't want to take up your time. And, and, and once in a while you, you strike it lucky and you, you hit the nail on the head and they're like, man, I'm just, but not very often. Most of the time it's thanks. Uh, I'll let you know if I'm ever interested and, or they know of the dealership. So, so you're kind of telling them, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're talking to them the very first time. If you get to that point, this is a really key point. If you can get a contact from that visit, again, this is in days today, people are a little hesitant to give out phone numbers and emails because the, the amount of spam and everything else that happens but if you can get an, if you can get a contact, that's the secret to to getting back to that next appointment and saying, "Hey, I was the guy that met you." Now they've got a name with a face that came out there, and you set yourself apart. You didn't burden their time. You didn't try to hard sell them and you know convince them that your products need to be on their farm. It was just simply, "I'm the guy. I want you to know who I am. It might be a benefit to you down the road." And that's probably one of the best best ways to do the mechanics of that. I think probably at that point, you know, maybe encouraging the idea of texting, you know, if they have any questions, text you, because I, I know that talking with several salespeople that that's just seems to be the way to go. And then that's an easy way to, to get their contact information without having to sit there and, and, uh, you know, write it out. Um, they've given it to you. Absolutely. Yeah. They, if, whatever you've got to, and, and I would tell you this, it's, it's most people give somebody like a business for a salesperson going to have a business card. And they're going to give them that it's tenfold better to get their contact if you can. Again, it's nice. You give a card for sure. They're cheap. Give it to them. But if you can get, you know, what's the best way that I could get a hold of you if you ever, you know, is there a way, you know, to find out if they seem interested about someday talking to you and giving you time of day, then I think you ask them what would be the best way to, to, to reach you? Because most people are going to work off cell phones to that. I think anybody you know, landlines are depending on where you're located. Maybe in some of the rural communities, they're still doing landlines, but most people you're going to catch them on their cell phone. And like you said, you can go to text. You know, when it comes to the, the how do you reach them, reach them on their channel. It might be, I mean, I communicate with people on everything from text, email. I don't do fax anymore, but it's LinkedIn, Facebook Messenger. I mean, it's, it's, and I'm just every day somebody finds a new way to, to connect and, um, you can't, you know, I would say predominantly it's going to be cell phone for a salesperson calling on a, if somebody particularly likes Facebook live or chat or whatever it is that comes out next, you know, you just kind of got to be on that channel and, and, and that's where they want to communicate with. Okay. Well, let's make our way through the other steps then. Sure. Um, and so the next thing would be just the feeling of being incompetent. Is that right? I'll just kind of address just a big picture of what you would do to kind of reposition that in your mind. And so we talked about cold calling the feeling of incompetent. 
you got to get out of your mind, I think, when you go out there that you're going to be the smartest person or the most knowledgeable. I mean, you got to have an understanding of your business. You got to have an understanding of your product. I think you simply got to be willing to learn as much as you can. And that's, I started out, I, I was a, when I went into sales, I did not have a vast background on the, the, the uses of the products I was selling. So I went farm to farm to farm and it took me not very long to realize I could ask a lot of good questions, learn a lot of information and apply those questions and that knowledge to the next farm and the next. And as long as you keep adding to that, you become an expert pretty fast in your area. Not, and, and don't try to be an expert in their area. Ask them what those answers and people will help you as long as you're willing to learn and you don't try to exaggerate your knowledge. <laughs> That's where people get into trouble is, you know, it, always be willing and, and have good follow-up skills that if somebody asks you something that they really need you to follow up on, you do it. You know, that's the, that's the surprise sometimes when people, when customers would be like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot. I didn't think you were really going to tell me, you know, I didn't think you were going to get back to me on that. And I was like, no, you asked. And I, I kind of found out from our experts, whether I went and found it from the industry or, you know, people in my company that knew it or somebody that I had networked. I mean, that's where you become extremely valuable and they, they treat you as a resource instead of a salesperson. So then, you get down through the salesy, and I think we kind of we kind of dealt with that one. And, and I would say a couple of things about that, and I've, I've written quite a bit about that. And I do a lot of that in, in individual coaching because that I have to get people past that when we coach, or they won't make the call if they don't feel like if they feel like they're pushing a product, they won't want to call. Out. But the one thing I would say is this: everybody and everything is sold. You look around. I talk about you look around the room you're in, and Everything from the desk, the chair, the paint, the dye, the, the lights, every single thing was sold. The soda, the, if you're at a restaurant, the soda fountain, the soda, I mean, everything has to be sold by salespeople and everybody is selling something, whether you sold your resume to the company that hired you or you're convincing a committee that they need to spend money or you, you want a brand new you know, office at your, at your dealership or you're trying to sell somebody at the meeting that, you know, the parts department needs to be open longer hours. You're trying to sell. So, so try to get out of this mode that, that it's this magical thing that people do. And, and Hollywood paints it. I use a lot of Hollywood references just for fun, but they paint a fairly bad picture sometimes of what selling is. And it's for effect, but, but try to, that's one of the ways that I think you can start thinking about being salesy and what you do. It's a needed skill and it's needed for what you do. You provide a very valuable service of bringing all the resources of your company to the customer in the best way for them to get the best value. So I think that's important. So far, Martinelli has talked through the idea of reframing your purpose to help address some of those first few obstacles to outside sales. Next up in our conversation, he will talk through the mechanics of those personal on-site visits. I would tell you this, go for as long as you can about not talking about yourself. The, the struggle is that salespeople think my job is to go out there and spread the word about my company and my products. It's not. It's to go out there and find out about the customer. When you're doing sales calls, outbound, it's to go out there and find out what that customer needs or could, or could want and help them get a better product than what they think they need. You know, there's this, these numbers that people have said, you know, half the people that come in or 80% of the people come into a dealership have their specs already figured out and 50% of those specs on a piece of equipment are wrong. 
And so, you know, the job as a salesperson is to make sure that they don't walk out of the dealership with a $18,000 tractor that they now have to trade in and, and get a $25,000 tractor. And so I think as you look at the mechanics of this, and, and tr- struggle is people are like, yeah, tell me all what, you know, who are you? You're from the dealership. Tell me about it. Well, the first thing I would do is I try to get that attention put back on the customer. Tell me about your operation. And I start by looking at the farm and obviously sizing things up is if they're in the cattle business or there's something, I'm going to try to understand what it is they're doing, how they've gotten business. I want to know some little bit of background. And then, and then you take them on their little journey. And sometimes, you know, people get caught up in the steps of the selling process. So just look at it like GPS, find out where they're at, find out where they want to go. And then you're the person that kind of helps them give them a few paths. Here's some options. You know, you could do this. You could, if they're in hay, you know, a lot of these are in hay operations. So that there's some different paths that they can go down, but it's a different path if they're trying to expand and become a custom hay operation, or are they just trying to be happy with their, um, so, so the questions become, tell me a little bit about what you're doing here. And one of the great ways is to do a tour. If you can get somebody to walk, they'll, they'll love to show you all about what they're doing and, and, and it helps that all of a sudden you're starting to see little things that this is going on. You know, you got, you got fencing around here, you got some kind of land structure that you got to get around or they're trying to mow and it's, it's way out of proportion. Because again, this crowd that we're talking about, this customer base is not, and often is not a professional. They are hobbyists or they adapted from, you know, they, they, they got a, five acres and now they got 10 or a few more added in and instead of buying another tractor, they just use the same one they got and they're way under specced. And so you can help them figure that out and you become their, their person for that type of equipment. That- well, I think that's a good point with the idea of the, the tour, because, you know, you could almost invite them back to the dealership. Well, under this tour idea, you know, come and tour right. our um, our e- equipment lineup, uh, you know, meet our, our service team or our parts team. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting word yes. to use. Well, and, and when you do that, if you saw something that you could strictly apply, let's say it was, it was a piece of equipment you had that was just perfectly fit to solve their problem, then you have an opportunity for a, a demo. It's different than a demo at your dealership. I mean, I think it's it's great to have demos everywhere you can. But it's expensive to run a, a you know a demo on a farm. So in order to make that effective, this gives you a chance to see I I've got a piece of equipment that would really fit right there. As you do the discussion, you can invite them back in to see it to, to demo it in the store, and then potentially come out with that the next time to demo with them. So so you you really are doing some custom custom work with this type of, uh, and customizing it to their operation. Talking about the, the big accounts then, how do you turn that, turn that warm, especially with, with, with those sure. big accounts that may not be coming in through other channels? Exactly. And so I think of, when I think of this, I think of big, you know, just thinking of the dealerships I've worked with when I think of this is like uh, landscaping operations that have multiple, you know, they buy dozens of units maybe at a time or government uh, offices that, um, you know, have highway departments or whatever that might be using this type of equipment or chainsaw, uh, tree service type companies that, that are a little bit bigger. They're a little bit more professional oriented. A couple things to think about there. First of all, they are working with vendors that they need ongoing support. They need ongoing, they need a supplier. 
you know, a lifestyler might only need a tractor once in a lifetime and maybe parts once in a while, but, but, a, but a contractor, they're breaking stuff all the time. They've got employees that break stuff that need maintenance, that need routine maintenance. And, and so, so calling on them, that is a, that is a function that they truly, truly need. And so the starting process is how do you, how does a supplier need to work with you? That's where you kind of start. And they usually have a pattern. You know, we need to see them here and we do our planning here. And this is when we decide, and this is our busy season. We need to be ready for parts. These are the parts. So if they've got all that established, then you got to fit within that. If they don't, then you can look for ways to like, Hey, could, you know, have you ever thought about what are your, then you start looking at the problems of, well, yeah, we run out of parts, we break and we're, we're down for, you know, we have a lot of downtime. And so you can now incorporate how you could fix that and you're solving their problem. So that's, I think when you go to the big accounts, that's, it's, it's, it's a different setup. And then I think for them, you've, you've definitely got to work off appointments with thinking through this as a little bit slower process. I love to sell fast. I love to get in there and solve problems and, and, I, and I just like the next person does, but understand that they probably have a relationship and it might be a 10 or 20 year relationship. They're not going to switch in one visit from a vendor, even if you got a great price because they're relying, they, they have a huge amount of trust that their vendor is going to be there to keep them running. And so they don't have any clue whether you can do that or not. And that may, depends on how well you know them. I mean, maybe you already know them and maybe they've been in. And so the mechanics, I think, are to first, again, go to where, they, where you can network with them and get to meet them. Um, at their trade shows, go to their events and think about what they need and, and how you can meet up with them. And then after you establish a little bit of a relationship, they've got, they know who you are, that you're trustworthy, then you're going to start making some calls on them. And then that gets the process going. But, it, but in the early stages of those calls, it has to be about them and what they do and not about what you do for people. They'll, they'll find that out later on. One thing that always has to be kept in mind when you're starting a new program then is is the idea of seeing what success looks like so that it, it's not abandoned if you don't have immediate success. You know, what's the dealer who maybe is starting fresh with this idea of, of calling on rural equipment customers? Uh, how do they determine what's, what's success? You know, what should be their ROI? When you start this out, I think you, you've got to have some all eyes, especially if you have somebody that you that has done this before or has called on people and can start to, cause you can, you can spin your wheels and drive to areas that are just non-function, you know, just not worth the time and effort. And I think you gotta, you gotta look at it as do some short trips in the beginning, try to find those areas where you think they're a little better. I mean, I, I had a three state area and there was parts of the States I would never just go out and try to find people because you couldn't find them. But there was others where you could target them especially businesses that you could go into and say, hey, here's who I am and beat them because they had, they had a stationary place where they were going to be. When it comes to that, you, you, you don't want to just turn somebody loose and let them, you know, go do a joyride or um, because a couple things will happen. And these are some of the traps I think that people get into. One, they'll, they'll call on too many small, small time things that don't turn into anything. Or they'll, they'll do the opposite and that's chase the big accounts and only focus on them which those are longer term because of what we just talked about is they're a longer term selling cycle. And so 
both of those can feel very defeating and like you didn't do anything. So the tough part is that you, you go from this in the office where you're doing a lot of paperwork and you're doing a lot of quotes and you're doing a lot of stuff that feels at the end of the day, like you made progress. When you look back at the end of the day, I did this contract, I did that quote. When you get done at the end of the day of cold calling, it feels like you don't have anything to show for it. You, you did all this and, and it may not pay off for a year or years. And so the ROI is very difficult. I, I think for, for some people to get their mind around as to what are you doing out there? So it's, it's got to, the more strategic that you can be in finding through all of your other sources, who you should be calling on, the more narrow down you're focusing and into more effective calls. And so, but just understand that you are going to drive, you know, out in the country and feel like I didn't really get anything done. I, I said hi to some people, gave them some cards, may not turn into anything. That's, that is a tough thing to, to go through because you're going to constantly bounce back to, I need to be back in the store doing my job. Uh, you know, not out here joyriding. I need to get back there. And so, you know, I think that's just something to be aware of for, for a dealership. And just to set, like you said, a, a long time, let, let something develop. It could take really going through the season for sure. And maybe getting to the off season before you see any results, especially with some of those business accounts. Absolutely. Here's another thing, you know, if you're the only person in the industry doing that, it's differentiating. So it's kind of like the next time that person thinks about going to find something, they're going to have you in their thoughts. They might even still have your business card. They might have your, so there's things that you can do to stay in touch. This comes down to the brand building piece of this whole thing, which becomes something we'll talk about here is having, you know, having other touch points throughout the year where you are being visible to that per, to those customer base, and that's through your advertisements, through your website, through your blogs, your post, you know, posting and things. And we'll talk a little bit about that too. But I, I think the the other you mentioned it, the seasonality and the effectiveness when you're setting their goals and the ROI is very important. How you call on them during an extremely busy season for a landscaper during the summer probably is different than how you would call on them in the lighter seasons of maybe spring and fall when they're not shoveling or uh, blading snow and not, you know, a lot of them do snow removal or something like that. But, um, and then in the summer they're busy doing, so calling on them at those times is different. And the purpose of that is different. And same with farming. You, you can't call on somebody during planting the same way you call on them during the winter when it's downtime. So. You know, one thing that's come to mind too, we've been talking about this is, you know, there's the trend about buy local and um, I think this fits fits right in with that. You know, you're you're their local contact. You're their you know you're their partner. You know, all of that can play into you know why they should choose you versus you know even the dealership you know in the next town or the big box store. Absolutely, I, I talk about this under. And it kind of still goes into that branding thing. Is you can every brand out there says great thing. The marketing department says great things about all the different brands, the red, the green, the blue, all the, all the colors of the, of the tractors and all the colors of the chainsaws. That means nothing when the local uh, dealership doesn't get their part, parts in or their, or their piece of equipment repaired. And so I had the same thing in my business. Uh, we would say great things about all our products and certain, and that's, they're expected, but that all goes out the window and you can't deliver it to them. You know, you can't feed an animal without food delivered on the truck. So it doesn't, <laughs> the brand means nothing to me if I don't have it or it breaks down and you, you can't fix it. 
So that is where the salesperson differentiates themselves in the market is, is how do you, you bring it to life? Not just you, but the parts and the service. And there's that old saying that the salesperson sells the first piece of equipment and then the parts and service sell the rest of the, the ones after that. Because if you don't service it and you don't have parts, they're not coming back for a piece of equipment from you. They're going somewhere else. So, so I think those are, those are the places where you bring that to life and, and make a difference. And now, is that going to get you through all the resistance and all the price differences? Of course not. But it's, it's a big factor in how you are in the market and being effective. So as a salesperson yourself, selling your, your expertise, what is still something that you have to personally deal with? Probably there's two, there's two things that I've, I've dealt with all the time, and specifically around this area, and that's efficiency and effectiveness. And so as I would go out to make calls, am I, am I routing myself? Because I have big geography. And, and everybody feels like their geography is pretty big, but I had to make sure that I wasn't doing a lot of highway miles without a, randomly. And that is a tough thing. You know, this was before GPS when I started my career, but you know, today it's a little easier. You can plug things in and, and there's some good programs now that you can, you know, uh, I forget all the different ones. Everybody tells me a new one. Every time I go to do a training event with somebody, they're like, Oh, I use this one or I use that one. It's all map, map quest, map point, and everything else. But you know, so, so being efficient and effective with your time and that I fight with all the time because, you know, you've got other things pulling at you and other places where you need to be and, and you can't be out there spending time driving miles expensive. And then, and then being effective, getting appointments and finding people is tough. And so the more I get into this and, and, and look at this kind of an environment, it's the more you can network and be a warm call, so to speak, where they know you're coming or they know you're in the area or you've got some purpose to be there, the better. And then I will tell you that I think every salesperson fights with the follow-up. So typically you can get the first appointment. You know, who are you? What do you do? Great. I'll have coffee with you or whatever that case is. I'll, I'll meet with you. Come on out. You know, I'll be around the farm. You can, you can see me. Now you got to find a reason you get the purpose of that first call, that first visit is to get the second one. And so if you don't get enough information and, and you get a, you get somebody that's a little tough to talk to, you don't ask enough good questions. You have no reason to go back because if they get you to divulge all your information and then say, thanks for stopping, or I'll think about it. And you didn't ask a lot of questions. You have nothing to do, but go back. And that is where I will feel salesy or pushy because I, now I got to say, is, do I wait a week? Do I wait a month? Do I wait three months? Do, do I just never go back? It's always that fight if I don't get enough information to go back, if I don't find something to get back at, at, on the farm. And sometimes you, you just don't because they're just not going to tell you anything. <laughs> and you, you have to weigh that. So those are probably the, the two areas that I, I struggle with still. At, at even what I do now when I call, talk to salespeople and try to line up, or sales managers and try to line up sales training. So absolutely. And I think for our, you know, definitely our rural equipment dealers would always struggle with that as, as well. You know, like you said, no matter how, how many years you've been selling or how successful you are at, at being a salesperson. And I just, it, it seems like process comes to mind at this stage so that, you know, the sales team, they have to have a, a set time for, well, maybe not set time, but they have to have a process for following up. They have to have a process for recording the information. Is that what you're finding helps drive that next 
step for the salesperson. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had a discussion with this the other day with a salesperson. He's like, I really, and he was very experienced. He said, you know, I just had a problem with that. He said, I, I went out, I did a great presentation. I, I thought I was going to put too much pressure by calling on him in the next week or two. So I let it go. And when I called back about three weeks later, he, this customer had bought from somebody else. And I, you know, it's one of the things where if you had established a in between, you know, when I always tell people, never lose that, never leave a call without a next step. It may be nothing more than when do I need to follow up with you? You know, to when, when do you think I should follow up with you on this? And you got to think about it. Or I got to meet with my, my accountant, my tax advisor, my wife, my spouse, my whatever you got to meet with. That's great. Some people really do. That's not a, just a ploy. And so I think if you say, that's, that's great. When would be a good time for me to follow up? And, and they may, you know, half the time they may say, I'll let you know. And that might be, then they really are just throwing something, <laughs> trying to get you off the farm. But most of the time they'll say, well, you know, I'm going to talk with them here and it's not in a big hurry. I'll probably have to do something before you, if you can get that established. And then, then you have a reason to call back and say, and then you, like you said, you got to have a, a very good system for not dropping the ball. Cause if you told them you're going to call back, they need three weeks or they need a week and a half or whatever it is. And you don't call back, you, you're done. I mean, you, and they may, if they really want to buy from you, they'll call you, but definitely don't drop the ball. That's a big component of follow-up is not dropping them. Excellent. Well, I think we've, we've talked a lot about a lot of topics here and a lot more to talk, definitely, but sure. uh, anything in this conversation, anything else that you didn't mention or you maybe you wanted to emphasize for our listeners? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's one that's, that's really important for people and, I, and I've become a big proponent of that. And as I, I talked about a little bit about this personal brand building because it's so important for how, you know, people want to know the personal touch, the person that I'm going to deal with. And we're hesitant as salespeople to do this. And I, when I talk about it with salespeople, say, yeah, I'm really good in my area and people know me for this. And I say, well, how do they learn about that? Well, you know, word of mouth is usually the big one. And if you go to the website of the dealership and you don't see a lot, of, I, I love to see pictures of people from that area. Who's the guy that does the parts or who's the gal that does the, the service scheduling or whatever. Who are they? And I see a picture of them. And then I have a more personal attachment to that. So that's one way. So it's speaking and people think, oh my God, you know, so three components of personal brand are speaking, social media, and networking. Those three things will get you in front of people in a non-selling environment where you can make connections and show them some of your expertise. But none of those are, I'm here to sell you anything. It's if you're going to go up there and speak, you're going to speak on your on your, on your specialty. And so there is a big fear of public speaking and that's, you know, they, they're more afraid of that than dying. Suppose I think it's they're more afraid of being up there and not know what to talk about, but you should be able to stand up and talk five, 10 minutes, 15, if you, maybe you need 30 to talk about something specific in your industry about your products or your generalized products. I mean, small tractors or whatever it is. And then the next one is networking. And that is just finding out where these customers gather. There's more trade associations, you know, as a speaker, I, I, I look for trade associations to speak at. And so I, I there's a whole book of trade, there's associations of trade associations. And, and it's just a multitude of places for you to be that you can network. And of course, you guys have some great shows yourselves that are great places to be at, 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 uh, and, and find customers. 
And then as far as social media goes, this scares people tremendously, but it's nothing more than some touch points of what is going on in your business. What are you doing really good for people in your, in your market? And you also have some uh, good news that you wanted to share as well for a new yeah, resource for yeah. dealers. Uh, thank you for, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. If people want to get a hold of me or contact me, obviously there's, there's all the links on here and, and that's kind of what I do. I go in and do private session training and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really excited this week. I, I've been working on this for some time now and, and I, I launched my book. It's called A Season for Sales and it's uh, an ag sales uh, guide to ag sales success. It's written all about uh, people like the, your audiences would be. It's all about calling on farms, um, selling dealerships. It's all the stories, the background stories and actionable items they can take right out of the book and put them into place in their territory. A lot of them deals with the fears that we just talked about. They're the more in-depth details about those fears and how they overcame them. Thanks to Greg Martinelli for sharing how to address what is either keeping you from establishing an outside sales component or what might be limiting your success. He says that being efficient and the time spent away from the office and establishing a process for follow-ups are key components of a successful outside sales program. And as Martinelli brought up early in our discussion, now's the time to find ways to differentiate your dealership. That personal visit could have a big impact. For more strategies for Martinelli, check out his new book, A Season for Sales, at gregmartinelli.net. Stay tuned for additional podcasts from our experts and dealers. Our podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. And if you're not yet a subscriber to our digital content, head on over to RuralLifestyleDealer.com and join our community. From all of us at Rural Lifestyle Dealer, I'm Lynn Wolf, and thanks for listening.